0: I'm David Knowles, and welcome to this special episode of Ukraine the latest. Bravery takes you through the most unimaginable hardships to finally reward you with victory. If we give President Zelensky the tools, the Ukrainians will finish the job. Slava Ukraini!
1: Nobody's gonna break us. We're strong.
0: We're Ukrainians. Today, We're publishing one of the last interviews I did on our US trip back in September 2023. Listeners may remember I hosted a panel discussion at Georgetown University, which we later shared as a special two-part episode. After that recording, several of the students stayed to chat to their professors and myself. It was really great to meet them all, especially after hearing their sharp and incisive questions. One of the students was a freshman called Marta. Originally from Kharkiv, she had left Ukraine to study in the US. Her stories fascinated and moved me, and we arranged to meet up later in the week so we could do a proper interview. She speaks about her experience growing up in Ukraine, applying for university while the air raid alarm wailed, and the emotional wrench of keeping in touch with her father, who is fighting in the war. Thank you so much, Marta, for your time. Here's our conversation. Well, thank you so much for your time. Would you like just to introduce yourself and tell the listeners what we're doing in this building?
1: My name is Martin Masahina. I'm currently a freshman at Georgetown University. I study in the School of Foreign Service and I study international politics with a concentration in the international security. Today we are recording it at the business school building. And basically we will talk a little bit more about my experience during the wartime and everything I experienced before coming to study in America.
0: Well, let's go back there. Can you tell us about your life before the start of the full-scale invasion? Where were you in Ukraine? What were your hopes for the future? And what were you doing?
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm originally from Kharkiv, Ukraine. That's the city really close to Russia. It's the east of Ukraine. And I would say that maybe since... 2014, I always felt the sense like that something bigger will still come. I had these talks at home almost like every evening we discussed the station on the front line in the Donbass region. And basically because of this like cross proximity to the border, I think maybe since I was like eight or nine, I always had this like plan in my head, what I do in case of. So basically for a lot of children in Ukraine, similar to my age or like even younger, it was always the case that we knew that our childhood still has a war in it. Maybe not a full scale one, but we always had this feeling that unfortunately while we are trying to grow up, the people are like giving their lives for the chance for us like to become an adult.
0: What was that like growing up? I guess seeing on the news, seeing on social media soldiers being killed, news on the front about lines of control moving. Could you give listeners who've not grown up in a war zone a sense of what's that like?
1: Usually, uh, children would watch movies or like cartoons in the morning. We watch like news. Well, every day we learned about a lot of our like soldiers being killed by Russians, and it really had a big emotional imprint on your upbringing because your sense of identity starts to build upon the war. So I would really say I. know what it's like to live without a war because all my teen years, I could feel that. It's a big integral part of me and maybe why I study international security is a big part because like I was raised in it and when you're a little kid you're asking your mom and dad like why is that happening? You know like why other people just want to try and control your land? And any adults trying to help you understand it but you're really building those sense of you know like national identity on it. You are trying to be like proud of being Ukrainian and even the school of bringing we talked to them in school a lot. So basically, young people in Ukraine were not young inside themselves. They always could feel were more grown up. We sense life a little bit differently because of everything we underwent. And I can say I have a little sister who's a first grader now. And for her, she's experiencing a full-scale invasion. She was woken up when she was six years old by explosives flying next to our house. And like for her, it was really a question like, are we going to die today? Or like, are we going to live? And I don't think a six-year-old should ever ask this question ever.
0: Let's go back to the start of the full-scale invasion then. Where were you, what happened, and what did you see?
1: So basically, I was spoken up by my parents with a phrase that I will never forget. They were like, sunshine, wake up. Unfortunately, the full-scale war have started because in Ukraine, we don't really like talk, you know, like war. We always talk war in sense of like a full-scale invasion because for us, war started in 2014. So basically, there were already a lot of explosions in Kharkiv uh, back in that time. So I think it was around 8 a.m. for me and I remember the morning quite vividly. We already had those bags packed before. with was like every documents, some money, some like possessions and everything. And basically, it was like really speedy action of trying to pack some warm clothes or everything because it was like still winter. It was still cold. It was... Uh, like trying to figure out because for example we have like gr- my grandma and she's like elderly person and it's more complicated to figure out how to take her out of there and we really understood that we didn't know how fast they will go and we need to leave so basically my family like my uncle like we packed our family like in a car and we like started our long way of like trying to go out of Kharkiv but it was also complicated because a lot of like Russian military aircrafts are already flying above your head and you don't know whether it will strike you right now or not, or especially like when you're trying just to, we lift in an apartment building, like go down the stairs and you already have the thoughts, oh my gosh, how I go quicker. So if there is explosive right now, I'm like on the ground floor and I have more chances to survive. For me, it was a sentimental moment because I actually locked the doors like of our apartment and I never un- unlocked them after that time because like I also lived in the territory where there was some strategic objects next to me. So I understood that it's basically, I have not hours, but minutes to get out of there. And yeah, it was like a constant contact with some of my relatives that lived in like the Kharkiv region, but not like a city. So it was a complicated and especially like trying to get, we had a lot of kids in our apartment building and like me trying to cover my sister, because like I understood that it's extremely big emotional trauma that she's going to carry throughout whole her life i was more adjusted through this year's because, close like i knew that it was coming like i analyzed all the information that was given to us but yeah i literally remember how i packed maybe like one book that had like sentimental value for me some warm clothes and it's just a sense when you're leaving everything behind your life that you had ended forever and you don't know where you're going you're going in the complete mystery at this moment and i already knew that uh, the stance of my friends and my family and men in my family and i knew that oh my gosh maybe it can be the last time i see my family i don't know what's going on it's like the first hours of invasion and i also remember as ukrainian forces were going to the region so like they were going in the city and like i see those a lot of young men and women on this like really long queue of tanks going in the city and I understand that for some of them it's like the last day they live and it was like really emotional moment because like you see literally the people who are ready to give their life for this country and I really want to commemorate all of them and the great effort they did especially in the first days. I really Thank all the defenders back at that time because of their efforts. I'm certainly I'm alive today, and I can even talk today about that.
0: Where did you and your family go,
1: and what are they doing now? My family understood that we need to go west. So we went to Zelviv, It's a city next, closer to Poland for just to explain the geographical for the listeners. But it also was a complicated way because I really uh, stopped working and returning back to the topic of my grandma. She was like, I physically cannot do it. Like she um, had some um, health issues and she decided to stay. So it was like only like my close family that went uh, with my uh, uncle and my aunt and my dad cuz like he wanted to make sure that we are secure like in some other place but when i tell you it took us literally a week to get to Lviv, yeah, it took us a week. So first we went to the dnipro, and when I tell you that your mind starts working differently, even when we're trying to find a place where to stay in dnipro, I was like calculating. Okay, so the airport is ten kilometers away, and the bridge is like five. Okay, so we need to like find a place in between. So if there is a like missile strike, we have more chances like to survive. And especially it was in the first days. If I remember it was a really problems with the bridges, so a lot. Of Ukrainian military was trying to blow them up so like to stop Russians so it also we were really trying to make like a strategy in order like if we need to go further we stayed there for the night and I still remember uh, having classes online on the first day of the invasion I literally remember the air raids going on and like I still remember having some classes on this day so talk about Ukrainian resilience (laughs) I was like okay Russians could like destroy my home but they will not destroy my future I was like sure about that in the moment and I think a lot of Ukrainians share the same like motivation to go further and maybe it was one of the motivations where I actually started Georgetown and SFS right now because like I knew that maybe I don't have the capabilities to stop them right now but I can gain the knowledge to do that in the future but yeah and it was like we stopped at Nipro, and there was also like a big problem with housing and even with roads, you know, because it's such a horrific picture to remember as you are traveling down the road and you see abandoned cars with their doors open and they can be like really expensive, even cars. And you really see a family in blankets with a little kid in their arms just walking down the road. Because, like, they ran out of gas and they understand they're not secure there. It's not even like the center of Ukraine at this point. They need to go further and they're literally walking. And it's a moment I believe you're really praying for them to stay alive. But they, like, when I tell you, it was each step as you go further from your home, you're abandoning something you own just because you understand it will not help you out. And then it's also about the unity of people. Because the other night, we really stayed at some small village with people we never know there was like an app prehistock i think i developed in like first hours of the full-scale invasion where people actually from could connect to find the place and that's how we found like a really family that just was said please be our guest come into a house and i remember we still had some connections with them after the first uh, few months of the war and we literally like stayed in their house and i think the next time when we were like we were getting closer and closer but every night was for me staying in people I never knew sometimes in the conditions that were like maybe it was cold still and you were like Mm -hmm. literally sleeping in a coat and when we finally arrived in Lviv I still remember the first night it was really problem with finding a place to live. I remember sleeping with all my family in one couch literally in our coats because of how freezing it was and it was no choice for us to do and then we could find like a small apartment there and basically our apartment worked as a step for people who wanted to evacuate to Poland so every morning for the first month I think I literally was sleeping on the floor because there was no place to it was like a two-room apartment and there were around like 12 people usually sleeping in it so yeah so it was like extreme conditions and it was not what I had in Harkiv when you're living a normal life and then just Russian occupiers come and take everything from you I forever will have a week of us trying to Survive, I think, for my family, like just in one car, really trying to get to the place and returning to my grandma because it's an important person in my life. We actually persuaded her to go, and she was the one who took this evacuation train. And I still remember her telling that like me the, the, the story as she was trying to go, and there is a massive shelling started back then. So, and the the problem with the evacuation trains was so severe that my grandma, she's seventy, and she she was literally standing 24 hours in the evacuation train because there was no place to sit it was that problematic and i know some of my friends who literally needed to lay on the ground because of the missile shellings that was happening next to you the train station when they were trying to evacuate. So each sort of evacuation will have so much severe pain of the person. And after that, as my dad dropped uh, us in Lviv, he volunteered to join the military because that was like the stance of, of my dad. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that's how life will will look right now because like he never was in the military like before, but he really fans this sense like he needs to. And yeah, so when I, I think a lot of people waiting for like their loved ones to uh, return from the war and I'm one of them because like um, my dad is a really close person to me and I'm extremely sorry and I express my severe condolences to all of those who lost because a lot of my friends lost some people and you know that that's something I want to share theirs was my my best friend's really good friend. It was not close friend of mine, but close friend of hers. And he was eighteen when he was killed in Bakhmut instead of going to university. He gave his life. And when people ask you in America, how are you doing? You're not just you at this point. You are all the stories of people that like you knew in your life who actually gave the most precious what they had. And like your heart is beating for all of those and your resilience grows for all of those who couldn't. And uh, because a lot of Ukrainians my age, they are fighting on the front lines and a lot of them are dead and you don't really know how how to deal with that. I have some friends whose relatives are imprisoned in Russia. I couldn't even imagine what emotions they are living. So the dedication to your nation, what, what like you actually have is, like it's extreme. You're really trying to okay. What another way I can help? What another way I can do? Just tell me, and, and I will. Because it's for me. It's, I'm such privileged to to be safe and to be alive. Because other people aren't. People who under occupations aren't. And I was working with some journalists before the war. I was interpreter for a lot. I spoke with people who were like in captivity and everything. And I you know their stories. And when I know how many children were dragged to Russia because their parents were denied parents' rights under occupation in some memories, and I always think about my family and a lot of youth in Ukraine, because I work at the Youth Council under the Ministry of Foreign Affairs Ukraine. And I really think, oh my gosh, what what are they experiencing and how they will recover, if they will recover?
0: Could I ask a little bit more, And. Of course, if you don't want to, that's completely fine. But a little bit more about your dad. What do you know about his experience? How do you keep in touch? And... Do you ever get a sense? I mean, does he tell you everything or does he not tell you everything? How does that yeah, work?
1: Yeah, Sure. So I will be trying to be more discreet and will not share which brigading battalions sure. he, he is in. But yeah, the what can I say that Madrid is a drone operator of the FPV and it's quite a specialty in Ukraine that starts to become more popular because some people tell like this war becomes like a war of drones at some point because instead of a human life, you can use a drone and if you can save somebody's life just by having this resource it's amazing and yeah so of course a lot of like military stories some of them he keeps to himself because sometimes it's too much but i would say he was like a grenade launcher especially the first speciality he had before that and the other person they work in pairs of two and unfortunately he died from a tank direct it's even like Hard because I know it from the stories and like what emotions people actually feel when their like unit partners just, you know, like die during the war. I think it happened last summer, yeah, around that time. I cannot share where my dad is. But some days he will be like, plus or sorry, busy or everything's fine. But like, I cannot Mm. talk to you right now. And I'm like, yeah, that's totally fine. Sometimes from people who are like on the front lines, you can just receive like a plus Mm. and it means, yeah, they're alive. But we're trying to keep connection with him. And sometimes when we're discussing war or something on in our class and then be like, oh yeah, you know, like actually I can relate to that. Yeah. And I would say that a lot of people that I know are actually in military or a lot of youth that young people that they know that they volunteer to join. A vast majority of Ukrainian youth volunteer to join and some of them unfortunately die every day. And it's so hard to imagine that Russian occupiers, you know, like people, older people, you know, with developed sense or at least they should have developed sense of consciousness, literally go to kill young Ukrainians on the battlefield with such agony in their actions, I could never understand that. Like, why you would literally go in somebody else's land and do such atrocities? And the chance to live in Ukraine is... It's a privilege right now, honestly. But yeah, referring to the question of my dad, we're trying to keep in contact, but it's getting more complicated and more intense. Um, So you're like, you never know whether you will have opportunity to say hi to him again, whether you will be able to hug him, uh, whether, like, whether you will have at least a bit of the life you had one day. And I think a lot of Ukrainians feel that that way, and especially those who lost their loved ones.
0: Do you remember what he said to you when you told him you got into Georgetown?
1: He was like... I'm so proud of you. He wanted me to go to Georgetown so much because my family was always giving me a chance to choose my future. But he was like, out of all the universities that he applied to, I would be extremely happy if you go to Georgetown.
0: Could you tell us more about your application here? How did it work applying for a university in the US when Ukraine is at war? And what was, that must have been quite a bizarre experience.
1: It, it it was, because, you know, like, there's a couple of ways of applicational process. I was applying to so, like, through regular decision, and I believe the time was January 10th, and it was actually the time of, like, huge blackouts in Ukraine. For me, because I was applying to a lot of universities, it was actually a time when sometimes you're just racing through the whole city, trying to find one generator that's going to work, where you have Wi-Fi so you can submit your applications, or you be like, really sitting in bomb shelter, you know, like, revising your app, and for example, my essays included things like Budapest Memorandum, for example, or Holodomor. So I had this like really important topics incorporated in my essay, my personal statements, because there were some specific essays that Georgetown requires also. Or like always like making the disclaimer before the interview. There can be an air raid siren, but give me five minutes, I will get to the bomb shelter and we will you. you know? So like it's not in the process usually people undergo. And yeah, and at some point the blackouts went so severe that I actually took bus to uh, Europe, to like Poland so uh, so I can submit my application to that extent and I still remember the moment when the missile landed next to me, maybe a week before I was going to university. So,
0: so this is in Lviv?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was in Lviv, if people remember, there was like, like a big shelling it was not so far from me it was like not directly in my building but next to me and the the wave from the missile was to that extent that we the. In, we live in an apartment building, and some windows, like, literally shattered. It was like shattered glass all over the place and it was the only way when we did not had enough time to go to the bomb shelter so we were sitting like in our apartment just like, two wall rule so if one wall gets struck, then you're quite safe and still hugging my sister my cat my dog in both hands because like really fearing for the life and be thinking like oh my gosh I did so much effort to get to the university and I don't get a chance to experience this you No, know, I'm obviously joking because that's really humor as you can see uh, even in our presidents what keeps us more energized in, in this time and I think it's maybe also like a psychological response to a lot of people in Ukraine because the issues is so severe but that's what keeps us resilient at some point you know and we're really trying and yeah even to the extent that like the wall paint on the wallpaper like started to crack a little because of the shockwave it was like that intense and I actually had uh, a lot of people that after, moved to my like apartment building after there was hit they happily saved a alive and it was family with five kids i think they were in use at some point somewhere and their building just got shot and where, how we met we met sitting in the mom shelter and they had like a little baby in their arms and i and what people experienced? newborns when newborns were killed especially uh, i remember it made to the news when newborn in Dessa was killed when the father was away and it was like just mother, you know, and a little baby, and you're reading all those news, and you'd be thinking like, oh my gosh, the life only started, and the Russians like are taking the lives that you know that they were a like, couple months old, and they're doing such atrocities and such crimes everywhere, and that's something you will never understand.
0: Are there any Russian students here at Georgetown?
1: Not the ones I met, I think we have some. Definitely we have some, but I think I'm more part of like Ukrainian community or European community here, but in Georgetown everybody's like really compassionate and supportive of the Ukrainian side of war. Yeah. They carry some events about Ukraine all the time. so like we feel this full support of the university to Ukrainians here and we definitely know that Georgetown will support us till the end.
0: Could you tell me, obviously going to university, leaving home, going away for the first time, everybody will remember, if they've been to university, will remember that moment of what, what was your journey like? Could you just talk us through? Because, yeah, you can't fly from Ukraine, you have to get into Europe and then fly again. So what was your journey?
1: Yeah, so uh, every journey when you're taken out of Ukraine, you will be like, okay, I'm, I hate Russians even more right now because anything works. So I think it was like a 12-hour bus because of the long queues on the border. I took it to Warsaw, and then I took one plane to the Frankfurt, and then I took another plane to Washington, D.C. So it was, I think, altogether it was... My, maybe 30 or 35 hours together. To <laughs> yeah. So I was like really committed to going to the university. Like, I'm getting this education because I'm needed in my country. And to, simultaneously with studying, you're still trying to develop youth in Ukraine because in the youth council, like, we're having some projects and in a lot of commitments, like, to, I work in some NGOs in Ukraine, referring to the public diplomacy and everything. And it, it'd be like, okay, I have 12 hours in a plane. Maybe I will write a statement you know or, or something during this time but yeah getting to america from ukraine now it's complicated but at this point it's the least of the problems you mm-hmm. can encounter
0: do you want to briefly just talk us through some of the things you've been doing on the youth council i mean earlier you spoke about how the problems and these sort of psychological issues young ukrainians face will, will be some of the most important issues for the country ahead what kind of things are you doing on, on that council
1: Yeah, so basically I'm part of the committees who usually work on the development of like youth diplomacy in Ukraine and working with organizations. It's quite a new structure that was introduced by our ministry. Uh, So we're starting to like (laughs) <laughs> gain more potential during this time but i remember one of the projects we did it was to ban russians from olympics we really tried to work with international partners on gain all those statements to the olympic committees currently we're developing more programs for ukrainians because ukraine is experiencing brain drain right now and especially we know the problem for those who went to europe for example you know like as a refugees and they haven't Little intention to return back. And it's a use. And we understand that the big majority does not plan to go back. So we're trying to develop still programs that going to integrate Ukrainian youth in the life uh, of, of the country. Unfortunately, I cannot disclose the project we're working on right now, as some of them didn't launch yet. Uh, but I really like the commitment our government is trying to do to keep Ukrainian youth energized in connection with Ukraine because we understand that maybe some of them will stay in Europe, but if they can still be part of the Ukrainian community and still care for Ukraine and help to develop Ukrainian agenda outside of Ukraine, it's a good thing to have.
0: I've met a few Ukrainian-Americans here and some Ukrainians who are now Americans who came over here and started work or came over to study who decided to stay do you think you'll definitely go back? How Are you worried at all about maybe in three, four years after your studies feeling a lot more American maybe and a lot more, you know, that actually this place is rather lovely?
1: What, what do you think? Okay, so this place is lovely, <laughs> indeed. Uh, I, I can agree on that. I am not sure about my plans after the bachelor's degree because like I still I understand that I need to go like to get a solid knowledge. I don't think that what's essential about being Ukrainian is that you stay Ukrainian no matter what. Uh, Even though you can adjust to the mentality of like the USA and everything, you still... Always in the thoughts with your country. So even now, I'm trying because the first month I was on a little leave, trying to adjust to yeah. everything because the, you know, it's so differently what, what uh, my life used to look like. Uh, and especially the last year and a half, even knowing that you live in kind of more secure place than you were, you cannot adjust to that. Sometimes when still the plane can fly low and in Georgetown they fly low because there's airport quite next to it. You can still be like, okay, that's a plane. that like not a Shahid drone, you know, like not a missile, not something. Uh, and you're like reassuring yourself all the time, making this mental note. So I, I think some parts of it are still with you, but like I really want to proceed to contribute to Ukraine's development and Ukrainians working. So I see myself summer. obviously, I, I will be there. And, uh, you know, any chance when I will have an opportunity to go to Ukraine, I, I will try to do that. I, I'm ready to take those 35 hours again. <laughs>
0: Is there anything we haven't spoken about that you think is important to mention, or something you want to say?
1: I think there was talked a little bit, like of like decline of the interest. I think sometimes, and I just really want to stress that when we're talking about war, I know it's hard to look at the statistics to see, but in st- instead of statistics, I would really advise to please look of real people, you know? Think of Ukrainian youth at those moments. Think of those young people who are fighting on the front lines, being in Russia and being brainwashed that their parents don't want them, for example, you know? Because there there is a, a big problem when when kids are just dragged away from their parents and Russians be saying like they are abandoned and everything and um, it's it's actually Ukrainians' big problem because I don't know how many thousands of kids are, are were like uh, deported to Russia, I should say that way. Yeah, and... Please think about those young newborns that were killed by Russian shellings, and they did nothing wrong. They, they couldn't... Some of them just took the first breath and the hospital was, you know, like, a hit with a missile. Think of all of those who are sitting in the captivities. Think uh, about, as, as a women, especially in war, that are frightened like to get into occupation because like they are afraid of being raped. You're a young woman, and you need to think about those. That's what actually the Thoughts you're you're having while while you're trying to flee from uh, the place where a lot of like, battles happening. What, what if the Russians will like, stop you? What's going to happen to you? So a lot of like emotional. Things that Ukrainians need to understand, And please think about all those soldiers that like, are fighting so much. I know that like, some people be like, oh, why is counteroffensive like, taking so long for, for Ukrainians? And for each centimeter, I think centimeters are better than inches, to explain. Somebody gave their life away. And for it's so complicated topic. And emotionally, you feel yourself way too mature for your age. Sometimes you'll be like, you think that you lived through different lives. I, re- I really think that the full-scale invasion divided my life before and after and the their initial invasion and the start of the war in 2014, I think took my childhood away. I want to stress it's the words of my father and the hardest conversation he carried in my life. If I'm killed on the front line, if I'm brutally killed by Russians, please, don't I don't want you to see me that. I don't want you to remember me that way. Uh, just please do not return if uh, I am killed. And uh, returning to the question, uh, every day I wake up uh, and I'm waiting for the message, like as many Ukrainians be like, because I just I like I, I'm I'm just a freshman, you know. I'm still young. I, I want to. To see him, at least see him. A lot of Ukrainians are praying just to see their loved ones. And when thinking about war, think about what it would be like for you not seeing somebody you love. What does it feel like knowing that they're in captivity, in jail, for just being a person? So I would just say, yeah, a lot of listeners probably have kids and probably just hug the loved ones you have, Ukrainians, no longer have the opportunity to do that. Like, some of the Ukrainians have an opportunity only to hug the cold stone on, on, on their grave. And some of them need to carry throughout their life the pain of knowing that they will nev- never see their loved ones smiling.
0: Thank you very much for your time.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for interviewing.
0: Ukraine The Latest is an original podcast from The Telegraph. To stay on top of all of our Ukraine news, analysis and dispatches from the ground, subscribe to The Telegraph. You can get your first three months for just £1 at www.telegraph.co.uk forward slash latest. or sign up to Dispatches, our world affairs newsletter which brings stories from our award-winning foreign correspondents straight to your inbox. We also have a Ukraine live blog on our website where you can follow updates as they come in throughout the day including insights from regular contributors to this podcast. You can also get in touch directly to ask questions or give comments by emailing ukrainepod at telegraph.co.uk. We do read every message. And you can contact us directly on Twitter. You can find our Twitter handles in the description for this episode. As ever, we are especially interested to hear where you are listening from around the world. Ukraine The Latest was produced by Charles Gear, and the executive producers are David Knowles and Louisa Wells. only from Rustolium